Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Matt McCoy. Welcome to season two of the Loop Community podcast. We're changing things up and how we do things around here. So hope you enjoy it. If you love this podcast, please do us a huge favor, rate it, share it, and leave a review. It means a lot. Enjoy. When you join together in song, when you join together after this one thing, there's a sense of community, there's a sense of oneness. And when we come together with a single purpose of worshiping the living God, then we naturally become unified. We naturally let the things go that potentially could have divided us because we're there for one purpose. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Luke Henry Podcast. We're passionate about providing tools and resources to help you lead worship, make it easy to use tracks. I'm here with John Guerra. How's it going, John? What's up, Matt? We ride again. What's interesting about you and I is it's been a long time since I was full-time staff at a church. Mm-hmm. Long time since you were full-time staff yeah. at a church. But we both grew up with part of our identities from a young age being worship Pas- leader. Yeah, and pastor's kid. And pastor's kid. So kind of the form of church, the play of church, if you will, was something that we saw both sides of. We really believe in currently believed in for a long time we i think we both respect our dads yeah and i respect the fact that you know my parents have given their lives to to ministry and to doing this thing called church every sunday yeah the good the bad and the ugly the episode today is about singing and i thought it'd be kind of funny to recount some of our most embarrassing times singing at some church gathering yeah and The thing that tops it for me, or that, you know, this is, you know, a moment that will live in infamy in my memory and the memory of all who are present, was my junior year of college, I got hiccups. And it was right actually when I started hanging out with Valerie a lot. We hadn't even started dating yet. But I got hiccups in the spring, and they didn't go away until late fall of that year. Wait, you had hiccups nonstop? For like, not literally nonstop, for like five to seven months. How is that even possible? I have no idea, but it would, sometimes I couldn't go to sleep because I was hiccuping. I would wake up and I would be hiccuping. I thought people only had this for like one hour. Bro, I tried every like, you know, secret way of getting rid of them, doing push-ups upside down with peanut butter in your mouth. Wow. Like riding a bike while holding your breath, like everything I tried. And I was leading worship that summer at uh, at this church in Chicago. It's a really small church called Faith. I don't even remember where it is anymore, but I swear to you, every single week, I'd be in the middle of a song, of a quiet song, and it'd be like, Oh, no. Lord, prepare <gasps> me to be... And it would happen so much. Wow. And people would, would just laugh because they're like, what the heck? And it would happen week after week after week. I don't know why they kept having me back. That is unbelievable. But dude. I just, I couldn't believe it. I got so insecure every time I would talk. I would like. I didn't think it was even physically possible to sing and hiccup at the same oh, time. Oh, yes. I thought that was like one of those things that's like, don't worry. You can never like sing with hiccups. Oh, you can sing and Like hiccup. they're separate. Oh, that is crazy. Sure. It's the worst, dude. Wow. And that's so a long time. Top that. Oh, gosh. I've had a lot of embarrassing moments. But one that's recent that my wife actually just brought up to me a couple months ago that I was like, I thought we were going to never talk about that again, (laughs) was I was leading worship for a Christmas Eve service at our church, and we invited all of our families, like 
non-believers, believers, like just like all yeah. our families. We're like, come, I'm Matt's leading worship at this Christmas Eve service. Totally. It was kind of a way to even get them to come, right? Nice. And at the very end, we're doing Silent Night and the piano starts playing, you know, the intro chords and I start singing and I could not hear the key. <gasps> and I started singing Silent Night in a totally wrong key. No! And then I like stopped. <laughs> And this was like the moment where like everyone lights candles. Oh yeah. Like no. it's the silent night moment. So I stop and I'm like, you know, I kind of make a little joke out of it. Oh, oh, you guys. Let's totally. try it. Hey, yeah. let's try that again. Oh god. And they start the piano intro again and I start singing and again I could not Get find out the of key. Here. Not twice, but three times that happened. You had to stop it the again. The next time oh, again gosh. I stopped it. At that point it's like, "All right, folks." <laughs> guys. We're going home. It was so bad. Okay, so it gets worse. So literally that happens three times. For the fourth time we stopped and I was like, Gabe, you sing it. And then Gabe started singing it in the right key. Well then, I don't know what in the world. I was like not thinking clearly, but I'm like, maybe this would be a good moment to invite all the children up on stage to sing. I was not what? instructed to do this. <laughs> I get these weird ideas sometimes, John. And I like went for it. I was like, hey. With for candles this, and all? I was like, for this next verse, let's invite all the children in the room to come forward no. and sing it with us. And then 19 it was just, minutes later. Yeah. Awkward, dude. Not one kid came no. <laughs> So not only did I, I like ruined the silent night moment for so many people. Oh, Because Ron Key made it the most awkward thing ever because no kids would come forward. It was embarrassing. That is. I went and like locked myself in a closet. And my wife brought it up and reminded me. That is deeply, that is deeply embarrassing. Oh, man. That was this last year. That was like three years ago. So it's those kind of things that I'm glad we can laugh about it. Because there are so many things that happen in church that's funny and goofy. And uh, that's why I love having conversations with you, too. Because we just talk about, like, why are we doing the same things we do? And, like, what does this mean Getting together with a group and singing and when you sing what song and how you get from one key to another and how you take the offering and how these are all things that at one point people didn't know what to do and then they decided to do something and then we just kept doing it. Um, what I love about the guest today is he kind of has been very thoughtful about a lot of these little pieces. Um, music, why we sing, when we, you know, play things under it. Is it manipulative? Is it helpful? All that. Right. So... I was really helped by this interview with Brandon Shoup, and I think everybody else will too. Roll tape. Brandon, what's up, man? Welcome to the Loop Community Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me, man. So we met last week at a, a worship songwriting event, and I heard you speak there, and I thought, you know what? We have to get this guy onto our podcast. Yeah, so it, it kind of came out of a conversation that Jared and Anderson and I were having earlier this year just sort of philosophizing, talking through ideas that we had. And so this idea started coming to, to bear for me that, you know, obviously scripture tells us that we are to be agents of reconciliation. We were, you know, Romans talks about the fact that we're ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation and that lots of places throughout the scripture that talk about the idea that we're the carriers of God's presence and as, particularly as worship leaders. And I got to thinking about how we have to sort of be whole in order to do that well. And the, the only way to be whole is to, obviously, that's all in conjunction with our relationship with the Lord. But the, the way that we can sort of begin to help with that is that we participate in what I call like whole being 
activity. And as I dug in on this a little bit, was and Jared and I were talking about singing and singing worship particularly, is that singing, as I think about it, is one of the few whole being activities that we can participate in. So we participate physically, we participate mentally, intellectually, we, we participate uh, spiritually, um, and we participate relationally and communally as well. And like, I just kind of want to unpack a little bit of each of those ideas. So like, obviously, when you sing, it's a physical act and sound itself is, even though it's not seen, it's part of the physical world. And sound waves affect the the world around us you know that we know when we're you know trying to dial in a room that there are you know sound bounces in different ways and we have to sort of compensate for those things and so we know that sound is a physical thing but we also know that it physically affects us like we breathe in air and so we're breathing in part of our reality and part of the atmosphere around us and when we do that that changes us we you know molecularly cellularly like we need air to live obviously and when we breathe that in and we breathe that out intentionally in song, you know, when you sing properly, you, you activate, you know, I've had lots of voice teachers talk about singing from your core and singing from your abdomen or from your diaphragm, but really it's like singing from your toes. You know, you, you activate um, muscles in your toes and your legs and your ankles and your, and your core and your chest and your lungs and all the way up through your vocal folds and your palate and even through your head. So like, singing physically affects us and we have to activate a large portion of our body to sing well. And so when we do that, we're, we're engaging in a way that like Jesus talks about, we're supposed to love him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And he's referencing the Shema there in Deuteronomy, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and, and to, you know, bind it around your wrist and on your forehead and at your house. And when you get up, and when you lay down, and when you're eating and you're on the road, like, Essentially, one of the ideas that I have about worship is that it's it's really just remembering. You know, we're a forgetful people and we need to remind ourselves. And that's what the Lord is saying in that scripture passage is that we just have to be aware and remind ourselves all the time about the goodness of God. And so when we sing, we're physically demonstrating that. We're, yeah. we're physically reminding our bodies to do the thing that we're built to do, right? Yeah, that's something that I've even kind of reminded even our congregation about like hey like when we're singing at church like you are like singing these truths over the people in front of you and the people behind yeah. you and people next to you like everyone needs to be reminded of these things and like singing you know that is actually a really interesting thought that like singing is one of the few activities that we do together that like brings community like i guess yeah. sports teams or you know we do those together or board games or something but right. like singing is a thing that binds us together and i love that thought just that we're singing truths over one another it also like physically brings us together like there's research out there in the scientific community now that when we sing when we gather together to sing together intentionally like in a choir or in a church setting or whatever then you know obviously our breathing patterns begin to align because you're you're breathing out specific phrases and you only have so much breath since so we're taught to sing specific ways right but even more than that, our breathing patterns begin to align and then actually our heart rates as a group begin to beat at the same rate, same wow. rate and rhythm. And when I heard that and read that, I, I just thought, what a beautiful picture of worship. There's that old Met Redmond song about breathing the breath. And yeah. there's a there's also evidence in the scientific community now that there's there's no more or no less air in the atmosphere than there ever has been. And so in in not just in a sort of metaphorical way, but in an actual way, we're breathing the same breath that 
God breathed into Adam and Eve. We're breathing the same breath that you know, Moses and Jacob and David and Solomon and Paul and Jesus breathed. Uh, and all the saints before us breathed that same breath. And so when we, when we bring in a breath and we let it out and release it together, we, we are joining together in song with the same breath that God gave us to begin with. So we're, we're literally breathing breath, the breath that he gave us in praise. And, and that does, it aligns us in a, in a really beautiful way physically, but it also aligns us. You just said that when we sing truth out over our congregation, but there's, you know, as worship leaders, there are those moments on the weekend that like, if we're really honest, we don't really want to be there. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a bad week or, you know, we had a fight with our wife or whatever is going on. We're yeah. not getting along with the pastor. There's all kinds of things that, that happen to us that we have to sort of learn how to push through. And Ephesians talks about the idea that we're to, you know, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to speak to one another. And clearly the scripture says that we're to worship and we're to praise. There's all kinds of references for that. But this one took me a little bit to figure out initially because I just, I thought, oh yeah, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I should probably study what those different genres are and what that means now for modern worship or whatever. I kind of realized maybe I'm missing the point here. It's not about the different types of song. It's about that particular context because there are times when I, as the worship leader, need to hear the congregation sing those truths back to me. Yeah, totally. And and I need to feel like someone else is reminding me yeah. of those truths. I mean, I've, I've had it happen recently, you know, a few weeks ago, I was just, I just had a bad Saturday and I came in for a rehearsal and didn't feel like being there. And then the moment that the body began to sing back the things that we were singing, I was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm yeah. built to do. This is, and that sense of community and, and unity that takes place there is it's just really powerful yeah. and beautiful. That is awesome. And I think it also works on the reverse because I do think it's a very real feeling for worship leaders to be like, oh, you know, I'm paid to lead worship every seven days and I just yeah. don't feel like doing this 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 morning. And when right. I've had times like that, I just think, you know what? I have to do this. And as I'm singing, I'm just like, <laughs> sometimes I'm thinking, oh man, I don't even want to sing this right now. But I just think, you know, God, like, like let this be like helpful for someone else. You know, right. like maybe this just, right. this isn't for me. Like maybe this song is just for someone who is sitting in the back of the church and going through a really hard time right now, you know? Yeah. There are also those moments where, you know, you walk off stage and you think, oh, that was amazing because your band was really tight and you felt good, but like it didn't seem to translate for people. And then there are other times you walk off the stage and you're furious because, you know, the the count in was wrong. We missed up that line and uh, I I sang the wrong melody or I missed a note or whatever. And like, and those are the times that people come up to you and you're like, man, worship was amazing today. And you're like, cool. I'm glad that blessed you because I hate myself right now. (laughs) Right. So yeah, there's, there's a powerful thing there. And like I mentioned to you when we were talking earlier that um, there's this documentary I watched like 15 years ago about Robert Moog, the the guy who invented that synthesizer company. And he talks about the idea that there's this instant community that's formed with bandmates. Cause he's talking about, you know, we build instruments for people who play live music. And he just felt really strongly about the community effect of it. Like, I don't know if he was ever a believer or anything, but that's, that wasn't what his point was, but just music itself has the power to bring people together. And you can have never played music with the group of people that you're playing with. And when you find that groove and you're in the pocket together, like there's an instant camaraderie and relational component that takes place that effectively builds community within the band. And then there's also the community that's formed between the band and the audience or the, or the worship team and the congregation. Like 
when you join together in song, when you join together after this one thing, there there's a sense of community, there's a sense of oneness. Yeah. And I've I've heard it said that unity isn't something that we seek after. It's not a goal, but it's the byproduct of having a single purpose. And when we come together with a single purpose of worshiping the living God, then we naturally become unified. We naturally let the things go that potentially could have divided us because we're there for one purpose. Yeah, right. Isn't that cool? It's like another thing that unifies us. Because, you know, we have, you know, our faith, you know, we're all there as believers, but then also then, you know, music itself unifying us. Telling them about the story about Moog, it made me think of a story that last year, um, because you know that Moog was actually in Chicago. Okay. Don't even ask me how this happened, but I was at like some political party for like a mayor who was running for an election. Across the room, I saw a guy with a name tag and his last name was Moog. And I went over and I was like, are you related to Moog synthesizers? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that was my dad. <laughs> oh, wow. And it's like, that's super cool. So we sat and talked and geeked out a little bit. But I just love the idea that music builds community instantly. Yeah. And, you know, it makes me wonder too. I wonder if, you know, because people do get connected to to like, you know, people get obsessed with like their favorite, you know, artists or, you know, musicians and and I wonder if there's just another like deeper level of connection when it has to do with music. Yeah, I think there is. I mean, we, we know that like music has the power, like in and of itself, it has the power to influence us emotionally. And, you know, you can listen to instrumental music without a single lyric. And depending on the, you know, the cadence and the rhythm and the beat and the chord structure and whether it's major or minor or whatever, like it can bring joy or it can make you anxious or it can, you know, help you, you know, have a sense of anticipation or hope or peace and so music in and of itself is powerful. Like, you know, scripture talks about David playing for Saul to calm him and to bring him peace. And we don't know whether he sang anything or not. We just know he played his heart for him. And, yeah. Yeah. and so we have that. And then in conjunction with that, we're engaging our intellect in a way that is, is really unique. So we are singing and like, there's sort of like this left brain, right brain things that happens when we sing and when we play music that is unique to music of any other activity. Like there are very few activities that allow us to connect right brain and left brain in the same way. And so there's this sort of, you know, almost subconscious musical component. Like we hear and understand a melody and we don't have to think about the melody. Once we hear it, we just know it. But then we're also actively engaging our intellect. We're thinking about the lyrics that we're singing. We're, right. we're proclaiming a truth. We're reminding ourselves about who God is or about what he's done for ourselves or for someone else. And so it connects to us intellectually in a really unique way. And my wife is a social worker and she was, she was in a dementia unit a couple of years ago. And there was a particular patient she told me about who the dementia had just really taken its toll on this individual. And they literally had not even uttered a syllable in weeks. And this, um, this church group came in and sat down at the piano in like the recreation center and started playing old hymns. And this person who hadn't uttered a syllable in weeks began to sing out these old hymns in perfect units and perfect harmony, knowing every single lyric. And there's this beauty about the gift that God has given us in music that, that it reaches beyond the curse of the fall, that it reaches beyond even disease and dementia and reminds us of, of truth again. It reminds us of his goodness. Yeah. And we all know music has the power to teach. Like we've learned our ABCs and the capitals of the states and the presidents and the books of the Bible, whatever. Like we all learn those things in song because it has this powerful ability to teach. And so we as worship leaders have this beautiful, but also weighty power to be able to teach people through right. what we sing. Right. And so I think it's important that we are 
we celebrate that, that we um, we're joyful about that, but we also make sure that we take that seriously and reverently in prayer. Say, okay, God, what are you wanting us to teach this week? What are you wanting us to to do? Because I actually love to teach as well, but I also know that most of the time when I walk out of a service, people remember the lyrics to a song much more than they remember what I said as a teacher because of the power of music. So it's it's a really powerful tool intellectually as well. That's why I'm such a big fan of scripture songs for kids because I think that you know I was raised on learning scripture through song. And there are still times where like, just randomly I'll remember a scripture because of the song. <laughs> like yeah. I'll start singing yeah, a song. Totally. And it's like, wow, I have not heard that since I was like five years old. You know, it does it like just plants scripture in your heart. And I think that's something that music does too. I remember when my wife was studying for the bar exam, she like put some of it to song because huh. it just helps to remember. Yeah, it's it's a really powerful tool. And I think we, I don't know, I don't know that we always engage it that way. I don't think we think about it that intentionally we just we do and kind of get into a rhythm but it's important for us i think sometimes to step back and think about what it is that we do and how we do it and why and when we get to think about the the beauty and the power of of song it makes us realize how how privileged we are to get to do what we do it is very powerful and it makes me think that we are you know as worship leaders when we have kind of this weapon in a way i mean it's like a powerful weapon in a way like how are we using it responsibly. Anybody who's led worship for a long time knows, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, how certain chords can bring out different emotions. You know, when you set up a song, a set list in a certain way, it can lead people a specific direction. Or when you, you know, drop to that four chord (laughs) at the end of the song. My question for you is, is using music in that way, is it manipulative or is it just strategic leadership? I think that's a great question. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in between, depending on who we are and where we're at in our process. Or, or maybe we're not even aware of it sometimes. We, I think we can kind of just get into habits and like, oh, this is the way it's done, so I'm going to do that. You know, I'm going to do a fast song up front, I'm going to do a mid-tempo anthem, and I'm going to do something a little more intimate next. And there's sort of this liturgy that we've created in modern worship oftentimes that we don't even necessarily think about. So I think it's important for us to think about that and ask ourselves those questions and I think it's also important for us to recognize, I think there's, there are times that we can over-intellectualize things or over-emotionalize things or over-spiritualize things. Like, but I think that's one of the important things about singing is that it's, again, it's whole being. It activates physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual in communities. So it's okay for there to be an emotional response. God created us with emotions. God has emotions. And so I think it's okay for us to engage that intentionally. But I think there's a line where... We have to figure out, okay, am I engaging this or am I using this? Am I wanting more for people in this interaction and in this space, or am I wanting to get something from them? Like, yeah. if I'm using that to make myself feel good about the fact that, oh, look at that, I made somebody cry or something, like that, that gets a little, <laughs> that's crazy to me. Yeah, right. But if I'm engaging those emotions in a way that helps people reflect on on the goodness of God and that brings an emotional reaction, I think that's beautiful. So it can be tricky, but I think we need to just be aware of it and remember that, again, it is a tool. Like It's okay to to help people feel things. It's not okay to manipulate someone's emotions about something. Right, right. So question for you, if we're kind of thinking about this idea that music builds community, what are some things from a worship leading perspective that you think actually is an enemy of that? Like, is there anything that we need to really be careful of that actually can maybe stop the in-sync breathing. You know what I mean? 
This whole yeah. idea that everybody's singing together, you know, breathing together, we're doing this together. Is there anything that maybe could be a threat to breaking that community? Well, I mean, I think there's some like low hanging fruit there in terms of like when we're doing what we're doing, we don't want to create distraction for people. So obviously like, you know, us doing a poor job at what we're doing can break that flow for people a little bit. But I think the other side of it is that there's an idea that our strengths out of balance can be our weaknesses. Mm. Um, and so the strength of community is that we're together and we're unified. The out of balance weirdness to it is that we become insular and exclusive. And I think so it's important to be aware of that and know that every church body has has a unique story. And obviously we're all part of the great grand story of God's redemption, but we all have a different component of that story to play out. And so as a result, we have to be aware of what God's doing in our space. And so it's beautiful to to sing the songs that everyone is singing that have these these songs that come out that instantly have sort of worldwide appeal and everyone you know is playing them because there's you know God has anointed them and they're just truths that the church needs to hear but it's also important that we don't just do that I think I think it's important that we're aware of what what works in our context and so this mix of being aware and part of the church universal but also being aware of what God is uniquely doing in our midst and trying to, you know, make record of that through the songs that we either write or through the songs that we choose to do that help to solidify the truths about what God's doing in that space. Right. I mean, we talk about making records, right? Like it seems like everybody wants to make a record these days and I'm not decrying that. I think there's, there's beauty in that, but like, I like the double entendre of that word. Like, yes, it's a, it's a musical recording, but it's also a record, like a historical record. Like this is what God is doing in this space. And it's important for us to capture that and to celebrate that. If for no other reason, then we want to remind ourselves about what God did. Again, worship is remembering. Worship is, is reminding ourselves about what God did. If the nation of Israel in the scripture teaches us anything, <laughs> is that we're forgetful people. Like God does something amazing and we celebrate that and then we forget and we sin. And God does something amazing and pulls us out of that and we forget and we sin. And and hopefully we're making progress in that as individuals and as as communities. But it's important for us to remind ourselves about the faithfulness of God. Because mm-hmm. in those moments that we're, we're uncertain, in those moments that we're unsure, in those moments that we get on stage and we don't feel like doing it, the truth being, reminding ourselves with the truth that God is faithful, reminding ourselves that of the truth that God did show up and deliver us, the God, remembering the joy of our salvation, like all of those things are powerful tools and are in our arsenal, especially when we have an enemy that his whole job is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole goal. My assumption is that if he can't kill us or destroy us, he'll settle for distracting us. He'll settle for dividing us. Wow. And and so if we forget and we don't remind ourselves about the truth about who God is and about the truth about who we are as a community of believers, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, then and he's succeeded. But that's the beauty of song is that where he means to divide us emotionally from reality, like, oh, I don't feel like doing this. Song has the power to, to unite our emotions with truth. And when we don't feel connected as a community, song has the power to reunite us with our brothers and sisters. When we feel divided from even our physical bodies and what is happening, like song reminds us that God is good and that he's our healer and the one who comes after us. So in all the ways that the enemy seeks to divide us, worship and song has the ability to reunite us in in a powerful way. And I think that's why 
Well, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that worship leaders come under attack the way that we do spiritually, that the enemy knows the power of song. The enemy, he knows that if we engage in this in a healthy way and we and we connect with the living God, then everything he's trying to do is for naught. I've often thought that the most powerful tool or weapon in spiritual warfare is worship. Yeah. Because we refocus ourselves on who God is and allow Holy Spirit to breathe in and through us and make us into the people that we are called to be. And if we will continue to sort of repeat that pattern, then there's very little the enemy can do to diminish yeah. that. I could be wrong here, but in, in the Bible, the music leader was like always in the front of these like mm-hmm. battles. <laughs> they put them out yeah. in the front, beating the drum. Which sounds crazy to us, right? Like yeah. that's, I mean, you know, we're, we're musicians. Like, I mean, yeah. the, the heaviest stuff we carry around is an amplifier. <laughs> right, right. We're not like, we're not warriors, but that's the lie though. The truth is that we are. The yeah. truth is that we have been called. I think that honestly, like the the army of the Lord kind of metaphor is maybe one of the least helpful cultural metaphors of the last fifty or sixty years. But there are components that are still true about it. That there is a spiritual battle that is real. And actually, as I think about it, much of this thinking actually came out of an experience that my wife had recently, where she was she was in a moment of having you know some pretty significant anxiety about things going on in our life, and she felt like the Lord gave her a really specific picture. She was in this sort of void room and um, and the enemy was across the room shooting arrows at her, like, you know, lie and deception and, and discouragement and anxiety and whatever. And um, as she looked around, she saw that there were four angels standing around her. And in that, she felt like the Lord said, sing. And so she began to sing out worship to him before when the, the the arrows were coming, like some of them were hitting the angels and they were being blocked, but some were still getting through. But as she began to sing, she began to worship, then the angels began to take a different posture. They stepped forward in a much more aggressive posture and their, their wings all went up. And all of a sudden the arrows were still flying, but none of them were piercing. None of them were hitting her anymore. And they were all like just dissipating as soon as they hit the wings of the angels. And so I think there's something about, you know, I don't know all of the, like theological ramifications. You know, I don't fully understand how God does this. I obviously don't see the spiritual realm. I see what is in front of me, but I believe that the scripture is clear that he will give angels charge over us. There is a spiritual battle. There is a real enemy that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy us. And and one of the greatest weapons we have is worship because it reminds us of who he is. I think there's something about that that activates something in God's heart where he wants to protect us. Like Psalm 18, I was being attacked and I I lifted my cry to the Lord and he heard me. And then it talks about all this crazy stuff that happens. Like, you know, the, the skies thundered and rain fire and because the Lord heard from heaven what was going on with his kid and it made him angry. As a father, I know that if people mess with my kid, there are very few things that activate my heart more than protecting my kids or than connecting with my kids. Like one of my sons gave me a little note the other day that told me he loved me and it, it just messed with me in the best possible way. And I, I think that is a picture of like when we worship, I think that messes with God's heart somehow and activates something in him that wants to protect us, that wants to draw us even nearer to him than we already are or remind us how near he is to us. And so there is real power in that spiritually as well. It's, we don't just get together to sing songs and like do kumbaya around the campfire before the sermon. Like that's not, that's not what we're there for. We're joining in worship. We're joining 
with, with the saints who have gone before us. We're joining with the angels and the elders in heaven around the throne. We're joining our voices to the grand chorus of worship going on all throughout creation. And we get to participate in something that's beautiful and powerful and effective, again, in a way that is, is unique. And how good is God that like he gives us this tool that activates things in the heavenlies that reaches his heart that honors him but that we also like somehow get pleasure out of that we somehow enjoy and get to create and form more community with one another as a result like how beautiful is that that like the thing that he asks us to do to honor him is also something that we happen to love doing these are awesome thoughts man i mean i couldn't agree more that worship is a powerful tool and weapon i think these are amazing things for worship leaders just to keep in mind and Thank you so much for sharing this stuff. I kind of want to go off script here for a minute and just, yeah, I don't know if you would mind just maybe quickly praying over any worship leader who's listening, who's just feels maybe they're just under attack, you know, and what they're doing. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. Could you close us off with that? Yeah, yeah, of course. And thanks for having me, Matt. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having um, me. Well, yeah, let's pray. Living God, I thank you for who you are, that you are faithful and kind and true and loving and powerful and mighty. Lord, you are so far beyond our understanding. You're so much bigger than we could ever comprehend. And I love the quote that, that the love of God is incomprehensible, but it's also unmistakable. And so, Lord, I, I just pray for my brothers and sisters out there right now that may be listening to this, um, that are feeling discouraged or are feeling like what they do doesn't matter or are feeling like they're not connecting with you know, someone else on their team or, or whatever. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would bring your unmistakable love to bear in their lives, that you would bring um, a sense of encouragement and joy and hope to them. I know that you have called psalmists and worship leaders and singers and musicians and artists to, um, to be people who proclaim your glory, who proclaim your truth and draw people close to you. Your word says that if we will, if we'll lift you up, then you'll draw all people to yourself. And so, Father, I know that there's a weighty call for worship leaders. There's a there's power in what we do, and it's not always it's not always understood either by the other members on our staff or by people in the congregation who we get into these nitpicky discussions about whether we like this song or this style or genre or whatever. And Father, I just pray encouragement over my brothers and sisters right now. I pray that you would remind them of the gifting that you have placed in them that you would reignite the flames of passion for the gift that you've given them, that you would cause them to be bold, that you would cause them to be courageous, and that you would cause them to be really sensitive to you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak clearly and distinctly to them. Uh, not only encouragement and, uh, and hope, but also a sense of reminding that you have called them for such a time as this, and that you have asked them to do what they're doing, and you've placed them where you've placed them for this season. And so, God, I pray for all of them, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would make your face to shine upon them, that you give them favor and grant them peace. And it's in the strong and risen name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brandon, thanks so much just for sharing your heart and for pouring into worship leaders. Yeah, of course. This, is, this has been awesome. So. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure for me. Brandon Shoup, what a convicted guy. Yeah. I like him a lot. Definitely a pastoral heart. Yeah. For worship leaders. He's definitely not just a song leader. No. Like he's in the trenches and cares about the heart 
behind the worship leader, inside the worship leader? What stuck out to you? Honestly, the thing he kind of started off talking about singing as a whole being activity, something that you've heard before, but the way he connected it to then somebody suffering from dementia who then snaps out of it. And then he said, music reaches beyond the curse, beyond the fall to call something out in us. You remember when you're playing video games and like you could like put in a cheat code and then suddenly there's like a special level. Yeah. Like Game this might genie. Be, yeah, exactly. Might be a crude way to talk about music sometimes feels like it's like a cheat code for like certain things in life, like anxiety, depression, dementia, yeah. loneliness. It's like yeah. music and worship specifically. He kind of then went into talking about worship as a weapon which is cool because I do feel like there is a, a lack of belief, I guess, in the spiritual mm. realm in our, in our world. But thinking of music as kind of this thing that can unlock something in us yeah, and also something that, as like a tool of defense and a tool of, you know, fighting lies and fighting hopelessness. And it's just right. such a beautiful way. You could tell he really believed it. And that, that sounds so corny to say because it's like, yeah, we all believe these. But he really, you just kind of sense that, yeah, that, that he's like, no, this is what my life is about. And yeah. I really... This is definitely something he's chewed on for a while. Yeah, yeah. music is something, too, that like can cross a divide, bring people together that maybe wouldn't be together otherwise. I keep thinking of, like, and this may be a bad example, but like I keep thinking of, I think it was when Sandy Hook, the elementary school shooting, mm. happened. It was some sort of disaster like that. Mm. And I remember Barack Obama, mm -hmm. President Obama, at Singing a funeral Grace. saying Amazing Grace. And it's like, no other time would he probably do that. Right. And it doesn't matter who's in the room. It doesn't matter right. like whether they're Christians or not. Yeah. He like busted into a song that everybody knew. Yep. And it was a song that everybody needed mm. at that time. And that's one of the cool things about music. It is like a cheat code in a way. Like he was able to pull out that cheat code in that moment. And he knew it would work and give like life to what was happening there. That's so good. I love how you brought in the whole conversation. Maybe we can tease this out a little bit. Like sort of the idea that it can be... A cheat code can be used in one of two ways, I guess. Like it can be manipulative hmm. and it can be powerful and used in the right way. And I think the worst thing is how, you know, music can be used to kind of pull the wool over people's eyes sometimes. You think of the worst dictators maybe who have used music in world history to kind of mm -hmm. soften the people. And then you think of the scriptures talk about the deceiver being an angel of light, you know, and Lucifer being right the one who is leading the songs or the one who oh, was yeah. most beautiful and wasn't he a worship leader or something yeah i mean yeah as much as we can understand what all those passages are talking about and how we can extrapolate like whatever the reality of that was the scriptures link beauty with deception sometimes at least the beauty of lucifer and how like it says the deceiver comes as an angel of light which means it's something that appears to be something that it's not and it, it, it kind of something that if you don't have discernment can really kind of fool mm, you right and and that is tough because sometimes, yeah, it's like, I feel like a lot in a lot of these podcasts, we're talking about devotional life. How do you develop discernment? Well, it's in the quiet, it's in the attentiveness, it's in the... Right. And if we don't have that, if we're not self-critical, then it's like, man, what are we, what are we doing here, you know, on a Sunday morning with these songs, with the mm -hmm. emotions? Is this spirit and truth worship or is this something yeah. else? Yeah, really trying to check your own motives. I definitely know... Like when you're planning a worship set and you're like, ooh, we could like really take it this way and I can predict um, how maybe people are going to respond. Mm -hmm. And it feels very manipulative. Mm. But it really comes down to like your motive in it, I think. Like, do you think you're God <laughs> in this situation? Right. You know? 
are we leaving room for people's wills? I know that sounds kind of crazy, but like if people aren't really singing of their own accord, if they're just kind of being swept along, you wonder if they're really worshiping hmm. or if they're just being swept along. These are, right. again, we're kind of wondering out loud and speculating quite a bit here on something that really is like subterranean motive level, so we can only speculate, but... Yeah, it made me wonder if like music at its core is manipulative. <laughs> hmm. That like I can listen to a song and without me like even choosing, mm. it can bring a tear to my eye. Mm. And it's like, whoa, where'd that tear come from? Like I didn't choose to cry in that mm. moment. But like music forced that out of me, which feels by nature <laughs> manipulative. Mm. Like it just like did something to me that I didn't ask for. Mm. Or like you'd listen to a song and you get like goosebumps or just brings your brain to like a memory that maybe you hadn't thought of in a long time that you mm-hmm. wouldn't have without that. And it's like forcing emotion. Like the music is forcing this emotion out of you. And it made me, as he was talking, I wondered, because I thought, oh yeah, it can feel like you're manipulating when you're leading worship. But then I thought, well, maybe music in itself is manipulative. Mm. Maybe that sense of it isn't a bad thing. Mm. Like that's kind of the beauty of music. Or is it simply something that unlocks what is kind of already inside you that otherwise couldn't be unlocked. Hmm. And so what you're then feeling and what you're sensing is this thing that's in you that you're associating with music because music is what pulled it out, but really, right? you know, it's it's like when your daughter does something that melts your heart. Mm-hmm. Is it her or is she just unlocking the love that you have for her? She's kind of like activating that. Right. I mean, either way, it's like insanely powerful and it's it's such an insane... We really know very little, I still, I think, at least I haven't read much neurologically and about what music and what art does for us. We can describe, we can describe it, but we can't go into the mechanics of why and how and precisely when, Yeah, for what reason. People use it in therapy. Yeah. I don't know about you, but there's certain times where like, if I'm feeling a certain way, I turn on a certain kind of music. Like, Hmm. I'm guessing a lot of people do that. Yeah. Like I'll be in a mood and I'm like, I'm going to listen to hip hop, <laughs> nice. you know, or I'm just going to put on like yeah, chill jazz vibes or something. And when you think about how powerful it is, it actually is pretty crazy when you think about the role of a worship leader then. Whoever, whoever's choosing the music for a service, that's like a pretty powerful position Yeah, when you think about it. If it's it really, really has the power to do that to people, unlock different emotions. Yeah. And, we shouldn't just be given the keys to like anybody. I know. It's like a powerful car. It's like here, yeah. sixteen-year-old with a decent voice and who knows how to use a capo really well. Right. Here's the keys to this Tesla. You're gonna drive the whole church around for thirty minutes. Like, yeah. So who's checking that? Like, who's balancing totally. that power? Like the checks and balances, you know? Because that's scary, you know. Like, yeah. And it's such a huge chunk of the service. It is. You know, some if if you're at a church that's an hour long, the music can be like thirty minutes of that. Mm-hmm. And a huge chunk of people's impression of the church. I feel the same way about walk-in music. Yes. I was leading worship at a church uh, recently. I don't know how you feel about this, John, but I was leading worship at a church. I was kind of backstage, like putting my in-ears in and like getting my guitar tuned. And I heard over like the speaker system, this was like the countdown's like two minutes left to go to church. And they're playing a song by Jack Johnson that was like, (laughs) (laughs) brought me back to like summer of like 2004. Oh, it's better when we together. Yeah. It was something like that. Oh, gosh. And dude, I remember being kind of peeved by it. Walking music drives me crazy sometimes. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. The re- Here's why it peeved me. Okay. I was kind of like, 
I'm about to like try to lead people in, into worship and like here's two minutes before I have to I'm gonna have to like jolt us from like first gear to fifth gear yeah because they're not like setting this up right. to succeed like I guess I just would prefer if they're playing like a worship song to kind of start like preparing people and <laughs> softening them not taking them back to like the summer of 2004 right when they're like with their girlfriend totally heading to like a drive-in movie you know what I mean oh gosh I don't know. What do you think about? I am so with you, man. I I feel like a lot of walk-in music makes me feel like I'm at the mall. Hmm. Like, am I walking into an H and M right now? Because it's just this very intense electronic, you know, huge synth drops happening, and it's like, like, and it's like supposed to get people pumped and like ready to be like in church. And man, we're just here to have a good time. And but it's like this is. You know, these are triggers for people that the reason H&M and, you know, all these places, Zara, the mall, play this kind of music because it puts you in a good mood. And then maybe you'll buy a Cinnabon and maybe you'll buy, you know, you'll buy some jeans. And like, right. I just, man, have you read any Jamie Smith, James K.A. Smith? I have not. He wrote the Imagining the Kingdom trilogy. It's like a cultural liturgies. And he basically talks about how Everything in our life that we participate in is forming us in a certain way. So the mall has a liturgy. There's something that you do when you go to the mall. And that trains you, um, trains what you want and what you don't want. So you walk in the mall and you look at the mannequins and it's saying something about the good life. Oh, if you have these jeans and if you look like this, then maybe you'll feel like you're at the beach all the time because Aeropostal, you know, that's a beach brand or whatever. Yeah, right. Hollister or whatever. It's like we're constantly being trained and so much of church has to do with like detraining, like reforming our affections and our loves. And when we take too many cues from the culture, it's like we're actually training people to want things opposite than God. Oh, yeah, you nailed it. And it's just like, sometimes I feel like wait, I when I'm walking into out. church and I'm like tuning my guitar, yep. two minutes on the countdown, and it's just like, what I really want right now is to... I want to walk in and go to the sale rack at H&M and see if there's some like sweet right. button ups that like, yeah, like, no, <laughs> that's not oh, what man. I want. Yeah. You know, you nailed it. And I think I, I haven't asked, I'm going to ask someone at this church why they do that, but I bet you anything. The answer is, you know, we want to be relatable. Yeah. People who aren't churched. Yeah. Who come, Hey, they hear like a Jack Johnson song before service. They're like, this is cool. Yeah. I can relate to this. But my question to that is like, well, then where does that leave all the people who like they are Christians and that's their church. Like, right. Maybe they're not wanting to come in and listen to Jack Johnson. It's always better when we together. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've got a better together song and it's way better. <laughs> Everybody get on Spotify and listen to better together by pray tell. Oh dude, that's John. so funny. That is really funny to me. And you, you do take it for granted sometimes. Cause there's so many services where it's like, there's worship songs. It's like, great. It's, you know, but no, they, all these all these cues and all these triggers, it's like, you, it's not, they have to be thoughtful. You can't just like, this is not going to happen by itself. These things right. have to happen intentionally. Um, it makes a difference. It really does. It really does. What about like playing under prayers mm. and playing under announcements and all that? Sometimes I, I like it, of course. Sometimes mm. I'm like, I just want silence. Yeah, I want a single voice directly addressing god on behalf of the congregation with no like twinkle chords underneath yeah that's interesting because that can feel very manipulative mm -hmm. well so the moral of the story from this interview is that music is powerful <laughs> and 
I think as worship leaders, we need to like take what we've been entrusted with, like take that responsibility, don't take it lightly, and be intentional about what songs you're putting together, how you're leading, and I think constantly checking your own motives. Mm-hmm. If you can be brutally honest with yourself, mm. and that's a hard thing to do. It's easy to say even that you're brutally honest with yourself and not actually be brutally honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Or it's easy to be brutally honest with yourself and then just like kind of swipe it under the rug. Right. And not make changes. Totally. And that's really where we need God's help. Yeah. And we have to be inviting the spirit into our lives to be changing us from the inside out. Where we almost get to a point where we're like, we're not having to try to fix it ourselves, but we're actually being changed internally. God is changing us so that we're not having to fix something. Anyways, great interview with Brandon. Thanks for your pastoral heart, Brandon, and what you're doing for worship leaders. Thanks for joining us on the Leap Community Podcast. Music from this episode is brought to you by John Guerra from his album, Little Songs. Make sure you check it out on Apple Music or Spotify. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, leave a review and a rating. It means a lot. We'll see you soon.